I think that's a huge part of how we move healthcare to be more preventive and more interactive. Today, it's very event-driven, right? And it's very discreet. But this technology and these capabilities from an analytics and AI standpoint could make it much more seamless and continuous. But without integration and interoperability, it's you know, hard to do that. Right. And I don't know about you, I have friends with chronic health conditions, and I just think how wonderful it would be if they could have that time of real-time care that would be available on demand. And also, if they're not even recognizing yet, somebody with diabetes who is not recognizing that they need something and the smart device would notify them. And if something isn't happening, send a notification to a caregiver or a doctor or somebody who needs to intervene. Ultimately, I think many lives can be saved and many lives can be improved through that. So the promise is huge. On October 25th, we're coming back to Melbourne for our first physical MLOps event. Whether you are just starting in the MLOps journey, improving in that space, or whether you have thousands of models in production, this event is for you. The type of things we're going to cover is MLOps for scale. And that scale can be number of models or the number of people in the team or the number of prediction and inferences that need to be made in an hour or a minute or a second. So how to create effective MLOps for all those scenarios. We're going to cover MLOps processes and team structures. How do we organize ourselves and the talent that we have in our organizations for better results in MLOps? We're going to be looking at creating efficient and effective MLOps pipelines in an end-to-end. What does the data look like, the feature stores, all the way to the model deployment, serving, monitoring, alerting, etc. We're also going to cover getting a C-level buy-in and support for the investment in this area. We're going to be covering what governance and good management looks like in this space. So wherever you are in your journey, the MLOps event in Melbourne on October 25th is going to help you increase the maturity of MLOps in your organization. I hope you can join us. See you then. I'd like to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading specialist data recruitment business. With offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, they're experts at providing recruitment strategy and building data teams for clients across industries Australia-wide. They provide recruitment solutions for all roles across the data lifecycle, including data engineering, data science, advanced analytics, customer and marketing insights, business intelligence, data product managers, and data governance. They're skilled at finding the best permanent and contract hires for your business needs, as well as statement of work, project-focused data resources. At Talent Insights, relationships matter most. I can say from first-hand experience, Talent Insights are fantastic to work with. Whether you're a business leader within an HR network or a specialist data candidate, Talent Insights should be the first company you turn to for all your data recruitment needs. Find them at talentinsights.com.au. Hi, this is Felipe Flores. Welcome to Data Futurology. Today, we have an extra special guest. Gina Papush is sitting down with us today. She has amazing, amazing experience, a career trajectory spanning almost three decades where she's been global chief data analytics officer for two of the largest companies in the world, QBE and later on Cigna. And she is one of the executives that I really admire. I love spending time with her. I always learn so much speaking with her. And we have her today on the show, which I'm super excited about. Gina, welcome. Thank you so much. How are you going today? Thank you. Thank you for having me. And you're very kind. i very excited to have this conversation with you. I know I've been trying to do this for a while and waiting to get right into it. Ah, I love it. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
So I, I know that in, in your, um, in the, the roles and the responsibilities that you've had uh, throughout your, your career, you've always been able to, to merge a few different areas, which, which I wanted to ask you about, um, and, and about the, maybe the evolution of those areas and how they came together. Um, and they are, so the, the data space that, you know, back in the day, it was, it was almost the, the realm of technology. Uh, now it's a different, different business uh, than analytics. Um, AI as the growth over, you know, the last couple of decades, and then digital. It's such an important component to, to everyone's lives today. How have you seen those um, come together in organizations? And then we can, we can talk about, uh, um, take it from there. So, you know, it's a broad topic. I think I've been fortunate enough to work for a number of different organizations. And I came into the space through the analytics uh, field. I am a math and stat uh, major by training, and I started out as a uh, model builder. I mean, we call it data sciences today, but back then we didn't have a term. I've definitely dated myself now. And, um, you know, what I learned is, you know, you can actually be uh, impactful in the field of uh, predictive modeling and analytics if you didn't know how to code. Fortunately, I you know, did coding as an undergrad, so, you know, it was pretty hands-on, and uh, I always worked with folks in technology, and uh, that afforded me the opportunities to learn about the technology and learn about data. I think what we're seeing today is it's sort of a bifurcated effect of we used to be generalists. We did a lot of coding ourselves. We built model ourselves. We put our data together ourselves. We even wrote production code ourselves, and uh, my technology partners may not have been very happy about that, but they would let me run it. Uh, and then, you know, that has split up into lots of specializations where to your point, data had gone into the main of technology very heavily. Uh, predictive modeling has, you know, often sat in different parts of the business, sometimes in technology, but separate team usually. Data science, you know, has evolved into machine learning and now we've got sometimes separate teams doing AI, right? And, you know, it's sort of a real intersection of computer science, data science, and other skill sets all the way to behavioral psychology, right? But um, in specializing so much, I think we've become a little disjoint. And what is happening now is we're now bringing the specialists back in, right? And saying, hey, we can't actually do all these things in silos. Digital, to your point, has emerged um, you know, in different industries in different times. We were doing digital work in consumer banking you know, back 15 years ago because we were building the websites and enabling some of the business processes that are consumer facing back then. Um, when I was a consultant in the early 2000s, we were doing digital work and parsing the log files. And I was working with some brilliant technologists who wrote all sorts of database code that was doing that, and we were bringing it together for analytics. So you could say digital is 20 plus years old, but again, used to be a separate skill set, a mix of engineering and a mix of people who were doing customer research and you know all sorts of work that uh, oriented towards marketing and experience. Now we're again seeing the merge of that because digital has become an analytically driven discipline. So I think uh, we're at a very interesting junction because these disciplines require specialization, but we also need them to work together in order to actually deliver the value they promise. 
So true, so true. And and um, what 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 a journey! I definitely um have have noticed some some similarities there, or some of the same things in um when we bifurcated as into different specialties and in the analytics domain there was different areas that had for example different terminology for yeah. the same things so uh, almost speaking different languages if you're comparing say uh, econometrics with uh, psychology and uh, statistics um, and then and as computer started, science correct yeah. right yes yes, yes. yes. And now starting to come together, we're, we're um, creating our translation dictionaries and starting to agree <laughs> on on, uh, on single terms. And it's definitely increasing the the well the collaboration and the competency and the value that we can create uh, together. Um, so that's uh, that's that's really uh, really exciting. Um, and how um, so? How do you? One of the things that I that I uh, really admire about you, and I have to I have to ask, is um, that you're able to have such a broad um, skill set and uh, and remit, but in each of the domains that you have, you you know it quite deeply, um, and and that that is very apparent uh, in 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 your questions, in your suggestions, in your collaboration with your teams, the way you work together. Um, how how is it that you have both the the breadth and depth. Well, you're being very generous. I uh, I probably have more depth in some areas more so than others, but uh, I think I've just been incredibly fortunate to have the opportunities and to work in different areas. And um, when you do, you, you kind of got two choices. You can either rely on others to, you know, be the experts or you can learn from them. And I, you know, I just love to learn. So that's part of uh, my, part of who I am and part of my personality. And even, you know, when I do work, when I'm supposed to be advising, I think I've learned as much from you and your colleagues at Honeysuckle as, you know, hopefully I brought to the table because uh, you guys have a very unique and different, you know, market dynamic in Australia versus what we have in the U.S. And, um, for me to even be helpful to you guys, I have to understand that context. So I think it's just all about being curious and learning and always assuming there is more to it than you know. And uh, as long as I keep that, I think it keeps me you know, somewhat fresh and helpful. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, very, extremely helpful. So definitely that's, that's the case. Um, and I wanted to ask you, uh, in, your, in your journey, as you were saying, you, you started as a, as a modeler. Um, and and now have had uh, multiple global CDAO roles. Um, what so in your? I wanted to ask you about your your professional development and your career trajectory um, during that time. What what were some of the the when you look back? What would be some of the stages that you see um, in in your career? And uh, and how did you go from one stage to the next? How do you how did you yeah. develop yourself professionally? You know, I have to confess, I wasn't very deliberate about it. I think um, some of this happened through the virtue of having the opportunities to work with incredible people. And uh, I was lucky to get that exposure. And, you know, I had really amazing leaders and mentors that I was working with. And um, I think the other part of it is I you know, always strive to understand the bigger picture. So even as a modeler and, you know, I was 
very lucky to work with a manager early in my career who had taught me to think beyond the technical aspects of it and to understand the problem we were solving. And that uh, approach has stayed with me throughout um, you know, the years. But as a modeler, I was always looking to understand what are we solving? Who is this going to help? What is the business process around it? Was it the customer experience that results from things we do? And um, you know, as I learned more about the business, I also worked for companies that urged their people to move around and learn different parts of the business. And uh, as I broadened that um, perspective, I realized I was really enjoying solving broader business problems. And uh, modeling is definitely a component of that. But you start thinking about all the other pieces and how you can you know, contribute beyond just building a model. And so at some point, very grudgingly, I had to give up model building because I wanted to do all this other stuff. So if you think of those stages, I grew up as a modeler in a very technical skill set. I went into consulting, still in that type of work, but I worked across multiple industries. That was a great stage where I was learning broadly and doing work for very different types of companies, different business models. And I learned a bunch of technology from some phenomenal guys at Fulcrum Analytics. And then I went back into the corporate side, but then I went into a somewhat broader role where I was doing more than modeling. The, you know, way that models are deployed, the way that broader strategic analysis is done has become part of the role. And then from there, I grew into the CDAO role and I always value having the data and the analytics. The two bring the you know, real impact together. That's, um, yeah, that's where the, the magic is, right? In, uh, in yes. combination of, of it, the two. And all the hard work is there too. A hundred percent. So it, yeah, it's interesting. You started very technical, as you mentioned. You you um, had a period of time where you were learning business, learning different business models, uh, business drivers, etc. Um, but the other component, uh, which I find really interesting in in your approach, is that you have a real human um, approach to to analytics and 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 to business. So that in your uh, in your approach, you always think about the the individual that's getting the the service or the benefit at, at at the end of this you know long and complicated chain sometimes there's always a, a person and that I find yes. that yeah that you're really good at focusing on on that on who is the the person that we're making a difference in their life for um, where where did that come from uh, for you and um, and how has that uh, helped you in your career? You know I think you and I by the way have that in common. I, you know, I, I know you subscribe to that philosophy too. I think some of that is, you know, what I was taught early on, right, by people I worked with who, and, you know, it's happened to me at different stages. I, one of my, you know, great leaders, you know, had a tendency to ask, so what, very often, because the so what in our work is, you know, it sort of stumps you. You come in and you've done all this great modeling work and you, know, you want to tell them about all the technical complexities and all the caveats. And uh, my boss was very, very smart and very, very technical, but he would always pull me back and say, look, this is all great. This is great work. So what are we going to do with it? How is it going to have an impact? And once you start thinking about how it's going to have an impact, I've, I've carried that lesson with me, right? 
you trace it down to where you know it's ultimately being applied, right? And who is on the receiving end? And to your point, on the receiving end is always a person, whether it's a customer, whether it's a representative of your client, whether it's your own employee who's taking this intelligence, supposed to do something with it, right? But um, uh, have you had an experience where you've called a company for service and you're talking to a board that's sending you around in circles? <laughs> I'm constantly reminded of what we need to do better when that happens to me. Yes, yes, I am. Um... I really like that um, that that mindset and that approach because you're extending the definition of impact or extending how how impact is is measured and thought thought upon um, because the um, you're right that sometimes in our in in analytics in our line of work sometimes we um, enjoy the modeling so much that we that we forget about the downstream impacts right. or for, or don't right. give it enough attention um, and then sometimes right. when we do. Um, some people may focus on the financial impact, which which is a, a good next step. But it taking it to the the impact on the individual, I think, is is where you get the yeah. the full visibility. What what do you think? What I totally agree with that because ultimately you can trace any PNL impact back to your customers and your clients, right? And um, it goes beyond PNL. You know, in healthcare, you have a lot of impact that's intangible. Right, you can't easily measure it, or you can, but it's going to take years to measure it. But in the end of the day, if you are able to change someone's behavior and they seek medical care when they have a problem sooner, and therefore bigger problems can be prevented, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a better health outcome. The person is healthier. You know, they're back on their feet hopefully sooner if they had something serious, and we've made their life better, and we, you know done it more efficiently through the system, everybody wins, right? The PNL alone is not going to always tell you the full story. The other metrics alone won't got to come together. Ah, love it. That's great. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you your thoughts in um, the, about the, the evolution of, of the CDAO role over time and, and, um, and your thoughts on maybe on the expectations of, of the role. I find that, I remember saying a few years ago, um, uh, a Harvard Business Review article that said that there's almost like seven, seven different types of, of um, CDAOs and that sometimes there's uh, uh, people that focus on, on cost cutting, sometimes people focus on growth, sometimes there's a data entrepreneur that is about making money from, uh, from yeah. the data um, and uh, others focus on risk management, etc. And there, there's um, there's so many different approaches to to the role uh, that I find that the the almost the umbrella is um, is quite kind of segmented underneath, and and the it's still maybe I want to get your thoughts, uh, but it almost feels like it's it's being still defined or defined within the organization and the culture. Um, what what do you think about that? How have you seen it evolve? Um, yeah, what what are your thoughts in this space? You know, this is a fascinating topic, right? If you think back, um, this role didn't exist not that long ago, yeah. right? Um, um, my very good friend um, and colleague Peter Sirinita was one of the first CDOs, and you know, he recently announced his retirement. So, want to give him a shout out here, and. Uh, you know, he got so much recognition for what he's done 
for those of us in the field, because Peter's been one of the first thought leaders on this and one of probably of the most established CDOs. And Peter would be probably the first to tell you that this role grew out, you know, on the risk and uh, data side. And, you know, if you think of how many of us came into the field, I'm probably not typical for that. Uh, but, you know, it was a defensive role in many ways, right? Yeah. Uh, because we needed to do things uh, with data in response to regulatory requests. We needed to do things with data because we needed to put governance and controls about around it. Uh, and uh, we didn't necessarily look at this role as a value creator. I think the most exciting thing that's happened is this role has evolved into a value creator. This role has evolved um, into more than just regulatory governance and compliance. And uh, it may sit in different parts of the organization. Sometimes you have a separate data role and a separate analytics role. Sometimes they come together, which you know gets me excited because I, I see them as very synergistic, of course. But um, I think by and large, this role is now viewed as more of you know commonly needed role mm. in the organization, and it's viewed as a value creator that's you know part of enabling business growth, part of enabling the better consumer or client experience, part of enabling better predictability in the business, right? And so it's evolved beyond solving the data problems. They haven't gone away. Interestingly enough, we've been tackling them for a long time, right? And then, of course, we've invented all sorts of new titles and uh, terminology. So we have chief data science officers now and chief AI officers, but by and large, we're all working in this field. Yeah, very, very true, very true. Um, and oh, there's many, yeah, many, many things that, that I want to um, ask you about there. Uh, one of them is the, um, let me think how, um, how I can, I can best, best uh, ask my, uh, my question, but the, I love that you would use the word enable, that we're there to enable uh, business growth and, um, and, and alignment to the business purpose. And um, so I want to kind of hone in into, into that word enable, if, if that makes sense, um, for, for two reasons. One is that if I, 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 I find or feel, and I'd love to get your thoughts, is that as, as people progress in their career, um, they go from from a very technical to to uh, more a business leader. And I find that there's almost a, a gap that we have in developing our people to allow them to be very effective once they become uh, a leader. And I think that um, one of the one of the blind spots for a lot of people in their de professional development is the amount of collaboration and communication um, and change management almost that we need to drive, help drive throughout the organization to be able to enable uh, change really in the best way um, that we can. How, how, yeah, how do you find that, that space, that responsibility of the, uh, uh, of the CDAO and analytics leaders of having to influence and work across the organization um, because the initiatives that we do are organizational-wide uh, or need to be organizational-wide for us to create the, the value that we can? Yeah, I, it's a great question. And I, I bet you're living this every day. I love how you called out the change. I mean, we are the change agents. I think that's the nature of what we do. 
we're in the field that it constantly evolves. You know, mm. if we build great models or created great data structures, you know, within a short period of time, we know we can make them better, right? And um, in fact, if we don't do that, uh, the competitive edge that that creates goes away because everybody's pushing the envelope, right? So there is constant movement forward. And uh, so I think you, you hit on the first thing, you know, really well. We we have to view ourselves as change agents. We're not there just to build and maintain. We're there to constantly evolve. The second aspect of that is we have to be influencers and partners, right? And uh, you know, some uh, of us in these roles, you know, have the PNL responsibilities and actually own some sort of an external, you know, product set, and you know, are growing the business that way. And I think you know, those have really exciting jobs, but. Uh, even those folks and many of us, you know, just have a responsibility of enabling the business internally. And enabling doesn't mean passive. It means proactive driving of ideas, proactive ways to offer up what we do that can make the business better and, you know, help our stakeholders and customers have a better experience. And being able to bring that thought leadership to the table in a partnership setting, being able to turn that idea into something that actually drives actions and collaborate. So it actually goes all the way to the last mile, right? Where it gets used. And that influence and skill is important. That thought leadership is paramount. And uh, I think um, it puts a lot of requirements on us in the field, right? We, we have to have the technical skills. We have to have the skills that you know are technical in the data science field in the technology field in the analytics field and then we have to really really know the business i think that uh, last one i mean without business context i think uh, we can't have the same impact so i think all of that is you know we've evolved in asking our people to do a great deal but uh, that's what makes this space so exciting yeah it is. It is so exciting. Ah, that is so interesting. Um, and I wanted to ask you also about um, about uh, the value of of data, and particularly um, how much of a focus do organizations have, or should they, in in having unique data sets and and having an approach where where they're building, um, yeah, so strategic data assets uh, that that uh, allow them to differentiate in the marketing and create different products and services. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts in, in this space in terms of how much focus and maybe what type of approaches you've seen work? You know, it's, it's a really interesting question. I, I, think, I think there is no debate that there is value in information, right? And what I think, um, you know, we, we all recognize Data by itself doesn't generate value. It's putting the data into some sort of an intelligent form where it drives decisions, drives actions, and drives outcomes that ultimately um, enables value creation. Um, what, what's challenging about that is um, it depends on which stage right, you're at in terms of your analytic advancement. And... Uh, how you turn that information into intelligence. Uh, for example, if you know you come in into a firm that hasn't done a lot with the information they have, they may not be ready to all sorts of unique data sets, internal or external. They are looking to get the low-hanging fruit, 
right, mm -hmm. from the core set of information that's at their fingertips. But as you, you know, progress that and you've used up some of your core data sets and gotten the value realization from that, then you move to the next level and say, okay, what would make, you know, what I do uniquely different and how could I actually move the needle beyond what everyone is doing? So once you get to a level of parity or once you play in a commoditized field, the value of unique information goes up exponentially, mm -hmm. right? So when I was in financial services, we actually had a team within our team and their job day in and day out was to scour, you know, sources of new information, scout them out, test them out, figure out if they're going to add value in what form they're going to add value, whether the models are going to become more predictable and precise, whether we would uh, have the information more timely, uh, whether we would improve the accuracy, uh, all of those considerations. And, you know, we had people who, you know, had the fun jobs of constantly evaluating new sources of data and figuring out how to make use of them. So, you know, I, I'm a big, big uh, fan of always being out there looking for the next thing. I love it. Oh, that's excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and what uh, what do you think is the <clears throat> some of the next stages of, of evolution in, in our field and in this space? Um, maybe I'll pose the question broadly and then we can we can dive into some of those topics. So I think it varies by industry. I think for us in healthcare, um, which is where I spent my most recent few years, um, there is so much amazing information we don't make use of fully, right? Um, and uh, depending on where you sit in the healthcare value chain, uh, the access to that information differs. But um, from an interoperability standpoint, where all the different players in that ecosystem are able to share the information and we're able to put it to work and make sure that we have the best information in the hands of the doctor, the best timely information about the patient, that drives those improved decisions. I mean, to me, that's you know a huge opportunity. We're scratching the surface. We really haven't brought that together, right? To get the full picture of the patient and to have the timely information exchanges between providers, labs, right? And uh, payers and others who are involved. So uh, for me, that's where the huge opportunity lies. I mean, I don't know how you guys you know, felt about it in Australia. We in the US experienced it during COVID. I mean, we were in a data nightmare during COVID, right? It's, um, you know, we didn't even have things coded in the basic source, which was claims. Now we're in a different place and, you know, there's much better information that's available, but there's still a lot of gaps. And so I think in healthcare, we've got this whole frontier of data exchange and interoperability and being able to bring data together in a timely fashion from all the different touch points the patient has and put that in the hands of people who are delivering care, right? In other industries, I'm sure it's all very different. You know, for us, digital sources are going to be huge. You know, consumers are interacting with us digitally, right? In the health space, there is a ton of information that's coming through digital sources, uh, not just websites, right? You know, electronic mm -hmm. medical records, um, lab records, all of that is digitized oftentimes and uh, taking advantage of that and making all this information available timely, you know, I think that would be huge. And that's, uh, that's one, one example. I'm sure other industries have similar but different views. 
But I, and I, I think that um, like that resonates so much. I think yes, it's it's um, that's exactly what we need, and it's so exciting to to hear it described like that. Um, and I think additionally, your other good point is that as as we've matured as a as an industry, um, we have um, approaches and developments that start to become more industry specific. And I think that um, you know maybe ten or fifteen years ago, uh, maybe twenty, yeah, maybe twenty years ago, uh, the the approach of um, analytics in an in an organization was a lot more standardized across industries. And I think that as as that started to happen, some industries started taking uh, slightly different paths uh, de- depending on their on their unique needs. Um, and so I, I think that yeah that your observations in healthcare are, are spot on. And also the fact that healthcare is unique in their in its current state compared to to other industries. Um, and I think that, yeah, for, for analysts and data scientists, the domain knowledge is gonna um, continue to have such great value um, for, for us to be able to add value in, in the organizations. I agree. I actually think healthcare is incredibly data rich, one of the most data rich industries. But you know, we've also not historically invested in this type of capabilities, right? So therein lies a challenge. We're data rich and intelligence poor, right? That's uh, it. If you think of <laughs> right, but in uh, other industries, I mean, if you think about companies moving into metaverse and Web three, I mean, there is data there, immense amounts of data streaming. Right in real time, we're we're nowhere near that. I think yet in healthcare, and so I think uh, their data, their data future looks totally different. They they're figuring out how to process these massive amounts of data and distill it into you know what drives the right actions in that context. Uh, uh, the technologies that underpin it can be used across industries. It's you know to your point how you apply it in the industry, and you know it does require sort of a different approach, recognizing where we are. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, I love your perspective on, on bringing the, the data sources together, make it more interoperable uh, in, in the industry. Um, and I wanted to ask you as an ex- extension of that, what, how do you think that um, a broader or maybe bigger digital play will start to affect this um, when we start to think about um, devices bringing in information from from uh, wearables and, and measuring people sort of in in their home um, automatically but then also in interactions with the with the patients how do you think that's going to start to uh, shape uh, what we can do I think uh, we have an enormous opportunity there to engage with the patient through the um, multiple channel interaction. I mean, digital can play a much bigger role. And uh, to your point, I mean, we're doing this by video across the world. There is no reason this should be any different for someone who wants to talk to their doctor, right? And it, it's starting to happen. In fact, you know, I know for a fact during COVID, you know, video conference with your doctor became, you know, pretty normal experience, but we, you know, we didn't imagine that happening, right? Prior to COVID on a scale that it's happened. Uh, I think your point on the devices is huge. I think, um, you know, folks with chronic conditions, you know, 
the monitoring that can happen, the preventive nature of what could be done if that data is streaming right mm-hmm. in real time. And we've got the AI systems that can actually monitor that, pick up any kind of abnormality, notify the doctor in a timely manner, notify anyone else who needs to do something. You know, that is huge. It happens today, but it's in a very limited scale. And I think that's a huge part of how we move healthcare to be more preventive and more interactive. Today, it's very event-driven, right? And it's very discreet. But this technology and these capabilities from an analytics and AI standpoint could make it much more seamless and continuous. But without integration and interoperability, it's you know, hard to do that, right? And I don't know about you, I have friends with chronic health conditions, and I just think how wonderful it would be if they could have that time of real-time care that would be available on demand. And also, if they're not even recognizing yet somebody with diabetes who is not recognizing that they need something and the smart device would notify them. And if something isn't happening, send a notification to a caregiver or a doctor or somebody who needs to intervene. Ultimately, I think many lives can be saved and many lives can be improved through that. So the promise is huge. Yeah, I love that you've been, you know, working on on making this this promise a, a reality, which is amazing. Um, I know that we're running out of time, but I do have to ask you um, about some of your extracurricular activities and the where where you you give back to the community, and um, it's something that I know is so important to you, very near and dear to your heart. Um, could you tell us a little bit about some of the some of the work that you're doing uh, in that in that space? Well, I, I think we can never do enough of it, but, um, you know, I thank you for recognizing that. And, you know, I'm really passionate about, you know, helping people who come into this field and, you know, giving them ways to learn and experience things. I, you know, I was fortunate to have mentors, so I look for ways to provide that in whatever format it takes. Uh, you do this amazing podcast and, you know, thank you again. It's an honor to be part of it. And, I'm sure you are contributing a great deal for people who are coming into the field and, you know, they get exposure and, you know, get to hear what happens and think about their career paths. In particular, you know, I'm a female in this field and there are quite a few of us. And uh, I was fortunate to grow up in a family where, you know, I've had, you know, women of older generations, my grandmothers, you know, my aunts, my mother, who are all, you know, in various types of technical roles, uh, scientists, you know, finance professionals, engineers. And so I had that exposure at a young age, and I was encouraged to do that. And my sister and I both ended up in this field. She's a computer scientist. And I have a daughter. And uh, one of the things that, you know, was really, really unexpected for me when she decided to pursue uh, this career and went to grad studies. And, you know, there were very few women in her excellent, excellent program. Um, And, um, you know, it made me realize that not a ton has changed since, you know, I pursued this and, you know, quite a few years later she did. So I tried to contribute in various ways uh, to women in STEM and, you know, participate in different types of events or, you know, do whatever I can to encourage women to come and do this work. This work is really fun and also to support them on that journey. Amazing. I think, I think that is, um, yeah, that is phenomenal. And 
the as you said the more the more we can have of that the better um yeah i'm i'm a, a dad of two young daughters and and i i hope you that they, you know it can be yeah encouraged and and um yes i see them um uh, hopefully you know interested in this space uh, looking up to people like you and then finding the 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 eagerness and the motivation to uh to jump into this exciting field as well now that's excellent and i'm sure just like my daughter had the benefit of a father who supported her and i have the same and i'm sure your girls will grow up with that whatever they decide to do later in life right but uh, it's just that the support of man you know in all sorts of roles is critically important critically important i've had wonderful mentors who were men and women so i think you know all of us can contribute there i love that that is true all of us can contribute there so ah uh, that is excellent and i think that is a wonderful note to end on Gina, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. This has been amazing hearing your insights, your perspectives, your knowledge, your experience. It is world class. And we wanted to make this extra special. This is our 200th episode of Data Futurology. So it's been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Felipe. It's an honor and you do amazing work and you know, it's just such a pleasure to be a guest. Thank you. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as Data Futurology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.